This is an Ercasia special episode, arranged and presented by Brendan Byrne. Hello and welcome to another edition of Ergasia Special. My name is Brendan Byrne and I have the pleasure of being your host. In this edition of Ergasia Special, I wind up my conversation with trade unionist Chris Hughes. Previously, we have discussed Chris's religious background and how his formation in both the Roman Catholic and British Quaker traditions have shaped his attitudes toward justice and his approach to the world of work. We have also touched on issues relating to the relationship between religious faith and organised labour. In this episode, we consider how to deal with the privatisation of faith, the relationship between faith and politics, and how the withdrawal of the church from the world of work might be reversed in order to articulate an alternate vision of the future. So, without any further ado, here is Ergasia Special, Episode 2, Conversation with a Quaker, Part 3. the individualization the privatization of faith and the withdrawal of the church from from the world and particularly from the world of work how can that be overcome well I think uh, and I talked to quite a few uh, people of faith in different faith traditions uh, one of the things is the other thing about Quakerism is we we believe that there's that about and others, and it can be expressed in different manners. So we've, we've been very active within not only the ec- uh, ecumenical community, but also into faith. And we do quite a lot of work with Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus, and we work with those that are wanting uh, to bring the essence of their religion and their faith into the community and fight and contest or actually challenge those that are using faith as a way of pursuing a political outcome. Mm. So what I think it's imperative on all Christians uh, to, to challenge and to bring in context of when, when we actually have ministers in this government who claim to be Christians mm. but actually impose mandatory sentencing mm. who, 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 who are supportive of militising of processes, refusing to challenge human rights abuses because it's not in our political or trade interest, those people need to be challenged and said, that is not Christianity. Mm. That is not the Christianity that I believe in. It's not the Christianity that was preached by Jesus and the early church. 
that is actually an abomination to mm. what that is about. And mm. I think it is beholden on us to tell people that is not the faith we believe in. They do not speak for us. Mm. That is not the way things are, because I think it's because of the, that's not being challenged that people then start to perceive that is what a Christian is, mm. that then prevents for them to get this aspect of being um, a, attacking, becoming even atheist to the mm. point then where they want to restrict people's show of faith. Mm. Or say, we don't want religion in our society because we don't want that. Mm. Mm. But they're mis mistaking a, a, a perverted sense of that. So I think the problem we have at the moment is I think those who use faith as a weapon for a political outcome are in the ascent. Mm. And I don't blame people attacking that and believing that we want to be more secular if that's the outcome. Mm. But I think also too there's a mistake about what we mean by secularism. I think we've got very, you know, we're now living in an age of fundamentalist atheists mm. who claim that secularism is about the removal of faith, which it's not. Mm. Secularism is about having no ordained single faith within yeah. the community. That, yes, that, yes. And I think there's a misunderstanding there. I think we're, in many ways, that type of rabid atheism that is actually a response to that very restricted, yes. uh, very restricted Christianity makes a difference. So, you know, if, if, you know, if, so the example to me was with, with Dawkins. Now, if Dawkins came to me and said, do you believe in a man up in the sky? No. Mm -hmm. uh, do you believe in a God with a grey beard and that's a male? No. Yes. Uh, do you believe that the world was made in seven days? No. Mm. Do you believe, you know, uh, do you believe that Christ was a virgin birth? Probably not. Yep. Do I believe that he rose again physically? I don't know. Mm. But none of those things are relevant, but I'm still a person of faith. Yes. 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 So, 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 how then can Given it, its pedigree, as it were, its it, its past history um, of involvement in injustice for workers, um, how can the various Christian traditions overcome the 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 fragmentation, the privatization of faith, the withdrawal of the church from the faith, but also the the lingering suspicion of the church within the union movement, and, and, and how can it contribute to working people's struggle for justice? Well, I think it, it still does. Mm. I, I think, as you know yourself, that there are devoted people, both in um, paid ministry and lay ministry, that on a daily basis go out there and change the world, who engage and show the their faith, their face of faith, the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, the Salvation Army. And, you know, once again, there's that tension between the, the beliefs and actions of those within uh, organisations and the behaviour of the organisations themselves. So once again, you, you know, yeah, uh, particularly nowadays because of, of, of the issues around sexual and other physical abuses by, by elements within the mm. church community. But once again, that's not the church. Mm. The church is the people. Mm. They're separate from that. And, and, you know, so I think in many ways, uh, as human beings, we, re we relate to other human beings and, we and we, our values are, are actually developed by our experiences. Mm. So the greatest capacity for us, I think, to change people's attitudes of faith mm. 
and to, for them to see the how faith can actually add to and enrich a community is by what we do. Mm. That their interactions with people of faith are positive interactions of faith, and then they can turn around and say, well, yes, no, I don't think we should be um, excluding people's faith in their communities. I don't think we should prohibit uh, faith implementing how we do our businesses because my interactions with people of faith have been positive interactions with people of faith, just as my interactions with people of faith have been negative. Yep. It's about the person, it's not actually about the doctrine. Yeah, yeah. So I would call us that we actually need to increase and be more proactive and more mm. upfront in our guidance of people of being wearing our faith with pride and being quite clear about that um, one of the things that motivates me to do what I'm doing is that, yep. is faith. So drawing on your own experience as an educator within the union movement, what education within Christianity, within the church, about work and the realities of work and justice issues within work do you think needs to be done? And, and I guess I'm particularly interested in the, the formation of, of ministers and priests and, and people who sort of engage that, that public face of the uh, church. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, in many ways um, the traditional churches are also struggling with the, with the imposition and pressures of secularism about, well, what do you do with buildings that you can't maintain? Mm. What do you do with the capacity to keep out outreach or ministry situations or pursuit for the poor or the needy mm. when there's not the pernicious are no anymore, the money's not there anymore. So yeah. I think there's all those, those difficulties. But um, a lot of it, I think, is really about um, what is actually taught within those ministry schools and biblical schools of when they're being trained in the ministry and they're being taught of, okay, what is the what is our view of secularism? What is the view of our role within society? I think it's important for them uh, to at least explore in that process as well. Okay, what does our faith or what does our traditions teach us about the role mm. of of um, judging people by what they do mm. or, or the occupation that they have? Mm. Or uh, you know, as wonderful uh, looks at Julian. Burnside yesterday mm. came out about human rights and he said people are misunderstand people are very happy about their own human rights uh, but not too keen on other people's human rights and you don't get human rights because you're white yes. or rich yes. you get human rights because you're human and I think it's a really that process of saying that um, work and what would people do and how they are treated and how they are viewed mm is an aspect of our, is a, a, something that we as people of faith need to consider mm. is that if we are judging by somebody by what they do and not what they are mm. then we have an issue yes. <laughs> finally last question um, what do you think or, or suspect are going to be the key issues facing working people and the whole issue of, of how work is constructed in the modern world, not just in the present, but going into the future? I, um, it's very difficult and it's very fragmented and it's going to be, uh, 
Well, I think it, it's always been difficult. The problem we have is that I think we're still struggling, and I think as a movement we've been struggling. I mean, in the early 1980s there was that push by neoliberalism. They, they had spent a long time working out how they were going to, to push their agenda under Thatcher, under Reason. This concept of um, the neoliberal approach about the markets running and that um, the individual is the most important, we're, you know, we're economy, not a society. Mm. That type of view of the world has been entrenched that it's very difficult now. That type of competition is, is, is very much mainstream. Mm. So how do we change and alter that perception of mainstream? Mm. The other thing too is there, there are issues about climate change. And mm. I think fundamentally militarism and climate change are so interacted, mm. so invented, they're, they're, they're completely separate. So there is that issue about how, how do we live a sustainable existence on this planet with other sentiment beings? How do we do that? And I think the problem we have at the moment is there's no articulate way by the trade union movement or to name it the left mm. for the sake of just mm. discussion that in the 60s, 50s and 60s, 70s there was an alternative. There was an articulated alternative of communism or socialism, whether you believe it or not. Mm. But there was an articulate view of something different. Yep. We don't have that at the moment. I yep. don't think we actually have a perception of what do we replace this with? Yep. Yep. If we're going to remove capitalism, what do we replace it with? And I yep. think that's what we're struggling with, and that's what we're that's finding difficulty articulating. And why modern people nowadays we've shifted from structured bureaucracies and to now more fluid alliances, mm. which I think are more democratic, but are they as efficient? Mm. Mm. So it. That's, I think, the struggle is how do we articulate a view of the world that is actually attainable to yes. people to say, yes, I don't like this, but what are you offering me instead? What am I working towards? Yes. And I think that's the issue. I think we're a bit like Gramsci in, yes. in, the, in that, uh, that hegemony. You've got to actually give someone a, an outcome that they can physically think is possible. Yes. And I think one of the problems nowadays is we've lost hope. Yeah. We've lost hope that things can be different or things can change. Yeah. And I think that's the struggle, is how do we, how do we create, give people hope? Well, to give them hope, we actually have to come up with a vision that is actually accessible to them and they believe it's possible. Mm. I think that's the key. And do you think that the, the advocates of neoliberalism play on that loss of hope, that sense of inevitability, that lack of a perceived alternative to declare, as, as Fukuyama did, the end of history and, and say, well, this is the end point of human social and economic development. I believe so, yeah. I believe they, their um, view of the world and that, they, that it can't be contested or, or altered, that there is no alternative, as Baroness Thatcher That's the trigger. That's where their strength lies, is, their, is that they've actually convinced people they don't have power. They've actually convinced people they can't change things. That's their greatest strength, mm. and that's the area where we need to shift that. Mm. Because once people realise that that's not true, mm. that they have immense power and mm. have a greater capacity to change things, in mm. fact, very much processes of doing that, then that's the key. Mm. So I think that's the key, is the educating workers to say, no, you have immense power in your life. You make choices every day, and mm. each of those choices either add to and strengthen that view of the world or detract from mm. it. Mm. 
So it's actually educating people on, firstly, their power to change the world, and secondly, articulating an alternative of why they should use that power to achieve that. Mm. That that's Collectively, rather than as an individual response to my own individual yep. way of looking at yep. the world. And, and does that, in, in fact, um, where the gospel comes in? Because it seems to me that so many of the quote-unquote miracle stories mm. in, in the gospel are in fact about um, overcoming alienation. Jesus yeah. draws people from the fringes of society or who are outcast altogether and brings them back into the centre of communal life, of human well, it, life. The good news is a, was a perfectly example of removing the news of the empire, yes. the Roman Empire, and yes. saying, this is the good news. Yes. This is, this is, yes. You don't have to accept that. Yes. You have a capacity to change what you're doing, and this yes. is a way to do it. So I think it very much comes back to that gospel process, and I know there's, there's been quite a lot of theological research and things that, in fact, in many ways, a lot of those miracles were, in fact, Jesus saying... You're sick because you've accepted the lies you've been taught by the secular society, that you've been told mm. that you are mm. not worthy or mm. you are deserving to live a limited life because mm. this society says you are not worthy mm. of having a better life. Mm. I'm bringing the good news to say you are completely worthy of it. Yes. And in many ways it's getting them to believe that they no longer were mm defined by their limitations, but in fact that they were loved. Yes. So, so the Gospels alternative uh, you know, it, it is, is contrary to, to what Marx and Smith wrote, that alienation was inevitable. The Gospel alternative is in fact, no, that uh, alienation is not normative and that we need to stop normalising alienation through this loss of hope that you talk about. It is, because we are, uh, even if you look at the biological processes, we, we are a herd animal. Mm. We are mentally healthy when we are with others, mm. and we are mentally distressed if we are on our own. Yes. But, and that's why, why we're having so much issues about depression, about suicide, about um, abuse mm. of alcohol and drugs, is because these are the symptoms of alienation and right and it's actually about how do I manage that alienation by escapism mm. to all these other processes mm. rather have trying to fill that hole mm. which is there because it has to be there for the elitists to control. Mm. Neoliberalism requires alienation. Mm. Capitalism requires alienation because only alienated people will then go out and buy products. Mm. We, we only buy things because we're trying to fill something that is missing in us. Yes. So you've got to create the vacuum before you fill it. Yes. So uh, that, that's the, the reality, is if people were engaged with their community, engaged with their lives, if, they, if their work gave them uh, a sense of completion, then a hell of a lot of our problems would go away because we wouldn't be wanting to pursue it with plastic things <laughs> or other ways of distracting ourselves from the life we have. Yeah. That's the issue. The neoliberalism and capitalism require, requires that emptiness so they can fill it through distraction. Yeah. And that's really the, that's, that's why the gospel yeah. is so powerful yeah. and why yeah. in many cases once a lot of the Orthodox churches have been co-opted yeah. by their societies, 
there's less discussion about the gospel and more discussion about other elements and a shift from the kingdom of God now to heaven afterwards. Chris, it's been a, a fascinating conversation. I really appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. Much. Thank you. It was indeed a fascinating discussion, and I hope it's one you've also enjoyed listening to. If you have any ideas about potential future subjects for Ergasia Special, I would love to hear from you. But for now, that's all. I would like to thank my colleague and friend Mary Doyle for making the interview with Chris possible. In the meantime, I hope to have the pleasure of your company in future. For more information or to leave feedback, visit the website at ergasia.podbean.com. I'm your host, Brendan Byrne. Goodbye for now. This has been an Ergasia special episode. For more information, go to www.ergasia.podbean.com.